everyone. Um, uh, can you guys hear my fan in the chat room? Can you hear my fan going? Because I'm having a heat. Fl- I'm having a hot flash. Oh my god! This is my second one today, and it's like lava. God, God. Anyways, if you can hear my fan, let me know. I'll turn it off because that's really annoying to listen to in the background, um, in the recordings. Like my old mic would pick up me breathing. I can't even listen to those podcasts because I find it so annoying. Can you guys hear me breathing? Let me know. Anyways, anyways. You can't hear me over the sound of your fan. That's good. That's good. Or my fan over your fan. Anyways, she'll be joining me tonight. We're going to do a trope drift. We have um, just a few more, just one more left from our list after this one. And then we'll have to make a new list, I guess. I guess. Anyways, we're talking about soulmate bonds, and um, <clears throat> we're going to drift over them, see what we think, and um, you know, try to apply them to different fandoms and how that's going to go. Uh but, you know, I have, like, just, I had a hot flash so intense, it was nauseating. I was like, I'm 100% done with this. I'm 100% done. It would be easier if I was getting the full benefit of menopause. And I'm just going to go on record and say that I'm not getting the full pause. I'm not getting the pause. <laughs> I'm getting the mood swings, the hot flashes. I'm not getting the actual pause. If you get my meaning. Do you get my meaning? Anyway. <laughs> really frustrating over here. Really. Really super frustrating over here. Uh, I. Uh, I. I was. Um, here's the thing. I had a groove. A writing groove. Happened in January. And I wrote. Um, between Pocket Guardian Small Magic, and another project I'm not prepared to share yet, I wrote close to 180K. Now I got nothing. Uh, nothing's coming out. <laughs> just, I haven't written anything in like a week and a half. It's It's been a week and a half. And those of you who have read Small Magic on um, EAD, I only posted the first 15 chapters that I was more okay with than the rest but I have like 26 chapters written I think um, <clears throat> but I, I'm pretty sure that my pocket guardian is going to be my um, my work in progress project for April because for April the Harry Potter theme you can do a new work or you can do a work in progress and I'm pretty sure I'm going to do a work in progress because I've got so many of them I got so many to choose from it would be ridiculous to start something new and the pocket guardian's pretty cute um and so yeah probably probably I'm also very enamored with Small Magic. I have 23 chapters written for Small Magic. And I shared the first 15 on EAD. Yeah, she's here in the chat room, but she's not on my board. I'm not showing up on the board either. Let me me refresh the board. (laughs) 
because I don't even see me. And normally I see me. It says it's waiting for the host. You guys can hear me, right? I wonder if this is even recording. Blog Talk's being a hussy. You know, we had studio problems before, and we could be having them again, which is really annoying. Um... I'm refreshing, so hopefully it'll let me find you pretty soon. Uh, but it's just, it's the the refreshing circle is just wheeling. Just wheeling, 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 wheeling. There's lots of choices for April. Um, oh, the server's too busy. That sucks. That's shitty. Don't, don't be mean to me, blog talk. I'm already on the air. How am I supposed to get off the air if I can't get on The podcast. What is wrong with you? So everything's working but the studio. So I'm gonna keep trying it. This is really annoying. I wish I'd known it was doing this before I started my podcast blog talk. Thank you. I have the beginnings of a steampunk um Harry Potter. Uh I posted an excerpt on Rough Trade um in on the forum uh, that I've been playing with. Uh where Hermione is a dimensional traveler and she ends up on an entirely magical world. And that magical world is um, a mixture of machine and magic. Uh, and they have airships. And I did a whole um, plot drift on um, steampunk Harry Potter. I don't know if I'm ever going to do anything with it or not. But um, it was, come on, blog talk. Why you got to be so mean to me? I'm honestly not sure I could be more annoyed by this if I tried. Really, really annoyed. They're going to get a snotty letter about this. That is an excellent thought. Anyways, um, I had, uh, like I said, I had a big writing day and now I've got nothing 
nothing, nothing. I have plenty of stuff in my head. I just don't have anything writerly happening. It's it's really, really disappointing and and weird considering how much of a haul I had, and it was just really easy writing. Sometimes when you're um. I just tried Edge, and it's not working there either. I'm pretty sure it's them and not me. It's really, really annoying. But uh, sometimes, like, when you're in a writing groove, it just it comes so easy that it's kind of difficult to um, shake yourself out of the groove. Um, but... When you lose it, it, it can be really... It just says server too busy. This is a frustrating place to be in because I can't even actually end my podcast right now. So it'll run for two hours. Whether I'm on the air or not. Anyways. They have no idea. How annoying it is. Because it was going to be down, it should just be down, you know, and, and not even let me. I'm precariously close to whining, and I want you to know that it's not really my fault. It, it's menopause. So, yeah, shifting gears is difficult, and I'm just going to probably have to rename this podcast because I just don't have um, – I'm so fucking frustrated right now, which is probably really going to be what the title of this podcast is going to become. I'm so fucking frustrated. I earned my R rating right off the top. That's how I never get on the homepage of Blog Talk, no matter how many hits I get, because I put obscene things in my title and sometimes in my description. I've been told. That if I cleaned my podcast up, language-wise, that I could be featured. (laughs) I don't have the ability to watch my mouth. (laughs) I never have had the ability to watch my mouth. It has gotten me into much trouble in my 40-ish something years. (laughs) My first word wasn't even polite. Take a deep breath. Somebody else talk. <laughs> the whole time. It would just buzz, 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 buzz. It would all be one big buzzer, Dark. It would be all one big buzz. Sometimes I love technology, and sometimes I want to kick it in the neck. Literally, I just want to kick it in the neck.
God, even their premium support is down. I would have to install Firefox because I rage quit Firefox about four years ago. But if it doesn't work on Edge and it doesn't work on Chrome, it's it's not the browser. It's saying server is too busy. It's not a browser error. It's a server error. Um, and the only part of the servers, it is the only part that apparently isn't working. Um, it's really, really super frustrating. Anyways, um, you know, here's the thing about me that you might not be aware of. I have, you, you, you know this already, I have control issues. It might have come up. You might have noticed that um, I like to be in control of my situation. I like to be in control of my stuff, which is why I'm not on an archive, but on my own site. I have issues. I don't make any effort whatsoever to manage this particular issue. I don't. Um, it just it is what it is, and I don't care if anybody gets mad um, because um, or gets uncomfortable or whatever the fuck. Um, I have control issues. And so when something like this happens, it makes me very frustrated. I could kick somebody in the neck right now. And I don't actually do it. But I would like to smash stuff, yes. If I was She-Hulk, my trigger would be loss of control of a situation. A situation beyond my control would be my trigger. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> So I could never leave my house, really, because I'm one of those people who pretends to have patience. And then will look down on you when you're impatient. I'm that person who does that. I will judge the fuck out of somebody for being impatient while I am internally seething <laughs> and having to wait on something or something's not working the way I want it to or traffic is miserable or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. I will be seething on the inside, pretending to be virtuously patient while the person next to me is having a full blown conniption and I am judging the fuck out of them. That is me. This is what, this is what I am. This is what I do. Um, and, uh, so Yeah. I pretend to have all the patience in the world, but I have zero. It's just a seething mass of frustration under my skin on a regular basis. Um. <laughs> I have cussed out so many people in my mind. If hating you is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> I, and I can't it's, it's a very frustrating place to be emotionally I have to say um, to pretend to be um, very patient and even tempered when I'm not and while I do tend to talk about the times I, I lose my temper more often than not I am very contained so when I do lose it it's like boom 
you know, now I'm getting a different error message. Uh, I wish hurry the fuck up was a virtue. It should be a virtue. But <clears throat> regardless, I do tend to um, internalize a lot. But um, the downside of that is is that um, when I do blow, it's like a fucking Vesuvius. Look out, Pompeii. You're not going to make it. <laughs> and I have, I have zero um, control over when that happens. I'll just be tilling along, tilling along, tilling along. Some asshole cuts me off. I, I let it go. I let it go. And then the next asshole that cuts me off, I want to follow them home and kick their face in. I don't. But I want to. And I just keep going and I keep going. And I get to wherever I'm going to go. And then I end up cussing somebody out in Walmart. Or Target. Or the Kroger parking lot. Nine times out of ten, when I do lose my temper and cuss somebody out, it is in a parking lot. Because I have wasted all of my my patience, my pretense of patience on the drive over there. Then I have none left. You know, talk about spoons and exhaustion. I have spoons for my temper, and by the time I get to a grocery store or a Walmart, all my spoons are gone. I'm wasting spoons on assholes in traffic who drive big trucks to have testicles hanging off the back end. This is true. Six out of ten people in a mall or a Walmart do need to be cussed out. But no, I, I haven't seen any lately. But for a while there, there was this trend where men were hanging actual replicas of testicles off the back of their truck. Um, sometimes they would be silver. Sometimes they'd be flesh-colored. I don't get it. I don't know why you'd want to do that. We already know that your truck is a compensating for your penis. You don't need to put balls on it to, to confirm that for us. We're aware. We are very aware. The other shitty part about this is I'm not even going to actually know down to the second when my podcast ends. So I'm probably just going to get cut off mid-word and if I don't hang up on it out of pure frustration in the next 15 minutes. Uh, I don't I don't need, I don't have a truck, but even if I did have one, I, I wouldn't need nuts for my truck. I'm 100% positive of this. I don't need nuts for my truck. Not that I have one, but if I did... See, it is not caring. Sharing is not caring. I don't care what anybody learned in kindergarten. Sharing is not caring. Was it last Sunday when it did this shit? Or no, it was a Friday night, wasn't it? It was Friday. It was Friday. Ooh.
I'm gonna be writing on a note. I need a health center. No, the truck is the penis. Although, really, instead of putting them on trucks, they should be putting them on sports cars. Whenever I see a middle-aged man driving down the street in a very expensive sports car, I just want to hang out my window and shout, I'm so sorry about your penis. I don't. But I want to. I really, really do. I am precariously close to whining because this is so much bullshit. any dude that works in a dental office that needs a king cab and an extended bed. In fact, I know actually precious few men in my life who actually need a truck with an extended bed. Now the fucking, it's been 20, 22 minutes. Someone write that, I might not down. 22 fucking minutes. Putting a fucking, fucking, I'm gonna get, I forget which one you are. I think you're this one. Questionism, I am needed. Aha! I am. 22 fucking minutes into my fucking podcast. Well, it's just 20 minutes we've been wasting anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You have kind of a thumpy sound coming over your mic. Is your mic like, like rubbing on your clothes or something? Are you still hearing it? No. That was my fan. That woman, this woman has ears like a bat. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else the heard it. That I lost. You're the only one that heard it. I bet you that's not true. <laughs> Lady Holder said she didn't hear it. She's on the phone. Nobody else in the chat room said they could hear it. Anyways, anyways. <sighs> I I just don't handle frustration well. I, I I really don't. I don't enjoy being thwarted. Um, I especially don't like my plans to be interrupted. When I plan something, I expect it to happen just the way I planned it. And when it doesn't, it makes me mad. That also translates to my work. When I plot something, I expect it to go just like I plot it. Because I am is the HBIC, head bitch in charge. <laughs> it is it is very frustrating when you, you know, I read that in a, this this article about plotting. And it talked about that, you know, no battle plan survives engagement with the enemy, just like no plot document survives the actual writing process. I wish that wasn't true, but it's pretty much always true. 
Uh, I, I list for me, I've never, almost maybe once ever had anything just start to finish go exactly the way I thought it was going to go. Um, otherwise, it's always just something a little bit, oh, okay, well, I failed to account for that, or, oh, that doesn't make any sense in context, or, yeah, I just can't make that pairing happen, or whatever. Um, nine times out of ten, my story goes exactly the way I plotted it. I give myself room, little decisions I can make during the writing process, like I'll like plot plot point 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 make a decision here, you know. So I give myself a little bit of creative room in my plot, but nine times out of ten, I do not stray from my plot. At all. And when I have in the past, I've always deeply regretted it. But I said before the that, my, that my plot is basically my first draft. Well, even when I plot really tightly, like I really lay out exactly what I'm going to do. Um, by the end of the writing, it's the times when I have forced myself to stay on plot that I've regretted it. Because if I'm starting to fight the writing, like fight my plot document, um, and then I'll fizzle out on something. And that's what the, the story I did for um, put up for EAD, that fizzled out more than two years ago because I was trying to make my plot document happen. And when I went back I to it, I went, when I plot. oh. But then it also might come down to how my brain works. Yeah, that could be. Because I I am, because when I'm plotting, I'm kind of throwing out the ramifications mentally in every direction as I plot. And I know a lot of people don't consider the ramifications of their plot points when they're actually plotting and save that for when they're writing. But that's not how my process developed. Well, I try to, I mean, I, most of the time I can get the ramifications right. The issue for me is sometimes I will make a decision in the plot that feels right when I'm plotting from a character perspective, but then when I'm writing the character, the character just doesn't feel that way in the writing process to me. And I will always choose characterization over plot. So if I feel like I'm having to make a choice between characterization or sticky thing on plot, I'll stay, I'll keep the characterization I've been writing because mm-hmm. um, it's harder for me to fix a character an issue of characterization than to stop and replot. Let me ask you a question then. When when you're plotting, do you plot external events only, or do you plot external and internal motivations? I plot both. I mean, I try to make sure I understand what's going on with my characters, um, so that I understand mm-hmm. the emotional the emotional arc of the story. But sometimes it's just not until I'm actually engaging in the writing and I'm having the characters interact that mm-hmm. I I get a feel, just go, no, this was the wrong decision for this character. Um, it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel right now that I'm doing it. And like it seems like, oh, that's really logical, and then I get there and go, no, it really isn't. It's not going to work. Like like that so, story where you where you dick tease me, and I was like. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that one. When are they going to get it on? You were like, that's not even the pairing. I was, are you sure? Because <laughs> you could have cut the unresolved sexual tension in that story with a knife <laughs> and put it on a plate <laughs> and, and ate it with a fork like a it. good piece of cheesecake. <laughs> and when I went back and read it, I agreed to that sexual tension was there. And so I went, okay, well, I'll just – and the pairing was, was – 
because the, 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 the romance was very minor subplot in that story, it was not a big deal to adjust the plot to mm-hmm. um, change the pairing. Actually, it was easier <laughs> to – actually, I wound up taking out, you know, I wound up getting to take stuff out by adjusting the pairing. So, um, But in this other story, it was I, – I had plotted – it was actually funny I got hung up on pairing again, is I had plotted, you know, a slow build on a certain pairing – and I just hit this wall going, this pairing just is not possible in this universe, not where it's, you know, the AU I set up, it just cannot happen. Um, because I kind of wrote, you know, Tony with a certain, it's not, I wouldn't say, um, he's not morally rigid. Actually, he's the, I'm kind of, he's almost the opposite of morally rigid, but he has a lot of moral certainty. He's ethically very certain about what he thinks is right and wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And, the pairing would have put him in an ethically compromised position. And I didn't have that insight into it until I wrote the characters interacting. And um, I hit a wall with it because I kept trying to make it happen. And then when I walked away from it, you know, I went back to read, read it. And I thought, you know, the thing I had almost the most on of things nobody had ever seen before was the story. And I said, well, let me read it and see how, what shape it's in and figure out what the problem was with it. Cause I think I had, left notes for myself, like, you know, what the fuck was I thinking <laughs> kind of things. And so I re- reread it. Well, there's nothing wrong with the story, but there's this question about the pairing. And I got to the end of what was there, and I went, why don't I just change the pairing? That's not a problem. <laughs> and it seems so inconsequential. It's like, change the pairing, no big deal. But more than two, two plus years ago, whenever I wrote that originally, I was just, oh, my God, I could not, I could not conceive of deviating from my plan. And so I just said fuck it <laughs> said no. no whenever I've gone off plot I've um I that's when I have plot holes and then I I have my plot hole and then I all I do is obsess over that mistake that I've made and then I then it fizzles and I'm done anyways soulmate bonds <laughs> Soulmate bonds, yes. The soulmate trope. You want to start in a particular fandom? Oh, no. Well, I mean, some fandoms, I, th- I mean, you really think about the soulmate trope, but I don't think I've seen a, re- seen a fandom I've read in that um, doesn't have it somewhere. Um, and they, you know, they... I'm actually flailing about other than Hobbit stuff and Hobbit and Harry Potter, I'm actually flailing about for a significant example of soulmate. I read a lot of soulmate shorts, you know, like under three or 4,000 words where it's like soulmates meeting or something like that. So you get mm-hmm. exposed to a wide, you know, big breadth of different types of tropes and stuff. Um, but there's really, I don't think there's a fandom that it couldn't apply to because, um, you have less to do in terms of incorporating the world building of a soulmate trope type thing. Just put it in a in a fantasy or AU type thing. Um, because if you've got soulmates and you're kind of tacking it onto in a significant work, not just a little short, but in a significant work, like in an NCIS or something that's contemporary, you've got to really consider how the world would be different if soulmates were a thing. And when because they became a thing. Things. 
Yeah, because it would alter things. Um, it would also alter the law because if you kill somebody who has a soulmate, you have to decide whether or not that soulmate lives or dies with with their soulmate. And if they do, the person who killed victim one is therefore responsible for the murder of not one but two people. Yeah. Because you, um, like in your um, Heart in Your Sleeve that you posted for EAD, you have was like Thor's hammer landing on Earth is what brought mm-hmm. soul bonds back to Earth. It woke up in magic, a way, yeah. Yeah, in a way, in a contemporary in a contemporary setting, um, soul magic it's chaotic, but soul magic awakening all of a sudden is a little bit easier to to imagine the repercussions of because you're only dealing with like the the world is struggling to catch up, right? Um, right. And you can kind of envision because like anytime major change gets thrown at the world. We have a lot of, you know, we have, there's examples in, in, like, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe of how the world adapts to big things like aliens invading, or we have examples in, you know, um, in, in our own, in, our, in, in real history about, you know, when the world is suddenly dramatically different, um, how does the world, you know, go about catching up? When you look at, like, the events of, like, 9-11 and how things dramatically changed in the U.S. and how we sort of flailed about and things changed as a result of that so you can kind of extrapolate when something major happens in a in a society on a planet or whatever what things are going to you can kind of figure out what that chaos is going to look like um and kind of feel your way through what laws would they enact you know da, 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 da. but when you've got a world like a contemporary you know setting where soulmates have always existed that's a lot more complicated to figure out what that looks like. Um, what I was thinking to me when I was doing the, the world building for um, with, with your heart on your sleeve, I thought to myself, here's the thing. Humans are inherently ungrateful. But in a moment of change, there's a shock to the system. We have to protect our soulmates, da 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 da. But if it had always been there, if soulmates had always been possible, I think that it would have become so commonplace that yes, there would be laws and history, you know, and um and some things might be different and some things could actually be worse. Um, because I think wars, ancient wars, would have been fought more viciously. Because why settle for killing a man on a field of battle when you can go to the town where he lives and murder his woman? Or his man? How do you stop a advancing German army? You drop bombs on their civilian cities. You don't worry about the men in the air or the men in the, on 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 boats, on ships, on submarines. Whatever you got going on, you don't worry about it. You hit civilian targets. And if soulmates are connected, those men on those battlefields drop like dominoes. Boom, 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 boom. And don't think we wouldn't do it because we would. 
because humans are terrible. Well, and it also depends upon how you interpret the soulmate trope. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you do interpret it that, like, your lives are connected once you meet or whatever, that, um, yeah, well, and you, you, but you'd have some things that would also change for the better. Um, you know, people would have to be um, more careful about taking certain aggressive action in the event that they were hoping to find their soulmate. Um, and the funny thing is, I think when you're doing a soulmate thing, you have to you have to build in consequences in order to keep people from just blithely um, killing soulmates. Um, And you also have to build in a reason why somebody would want a soulmate. Um, I worked on a soul bond AU. Um, It was just the world building. I just did the world building for it. Um, that, you know, I was like, okay, well, when I got to this point, I'm like, well, what, what, what benefit is there to having a soul bond? Why would somebody want this thing? Why would somebody want this intimacy? And um, so I, I kind of built a built benefit into it, like that it does something positive for you. And there's, I we see, I see lots of examples of that. You could say um, there's the, um, you only see a color thing. Once you set meet or touch your soulmate for the first time, you can finally see in color. Life's in black and white until that point. Um, there's like a there's a, a trope where um, soulmates can heal each other um, once they've met and touched. That they have the ability to accelerate each other's healing and senses and save each other's life to kind of or to kind of share life energy between them. Um, so. You kind of, if you're going to have something that could conceivably be a liability to somebody, you'd have to build in um, a benefit that outweighs the liability, or at least kind of, you know, makes them equal. Unless you want it to be really angsty, and then don't give them any benefits at all. Yeah. It depends on and what you want to do with you- it. I mean, maximum angst is that, you know, you're soul-bound from the moment you're born. And even if you never meet, the other person's life and death affects you. And even if you've never met the person, if they drop dead, you drop dead. I mean, (laughs) that would be maximum angst. I mean, that's just living your whole life never knowing who or what is affecting the thing that's happening with you. I saw something on Tumblr once about that, and it was basically the question is, what if when you have a song stuck in your head, it's because your soulmate's listening to it? You could be really pissed at your soulmate long before you ever met them. Exactly. You're like, bitch, what is you got, what, you got what is wrong with you? Music. What is wrong with you? ABBA? Really? ABBA? For years? That was the choice you made? That was the choice you made for us? I have been I have been listening to 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 you know Waterloo for the last twenty five years and I just can't deal with it anymore. I'm gonna have to kill you. <laughs> I've decided we can't be soulmates because your music sucks. <laughs> That's right. Don't like you. But no, clean. Um, oh my God, that'd be worse. But you know, yeah. So, um, the most maximum angst thing I ever saw 
was that soulmates had the last words they ever hear their soulmate say written on their wrist. And when Bilbo met Thorin, Thorin's words on his wrist were, the eagles are coming. Ugh. Ugh. I know, right? You don't need, you don't need <laughs> no thinking cannon. What the hell? Just, just punch you in the chest. Fuck you, author. It, it was great. It, I have, it was fucking fantastic. It was fucking fantastic. I read but, um, this. Um, it, it, it tore I, my heart I read, out. I'm not going to lie. I read this one trope thing where you have your born. The name thing is, of course, I think probably... I think the two, the two, the two I can think of that I think are the biggest, most common soulmate tropes is the red string, and or some kind of string, and then the name, your na- your soulmate's name. Um, I read one variant of the soulmate name thing, which is that you're born with the name of your soulmate on one wrist or the back of your hand, um, and you're born with the name of your your mortal enemy on the other, but you don't know which is which. Wow. <laughs> wow, that is wow. Here's hoping so, you meet your mortal enemy first. <laughs> well, what if you and what if um what if you and um somebody you cared about, like let's say your sister, had the same name? on a wrist. It's easy to assume that's the mortal enemy. But what if it's one of your mortal enemy and the other one's soulmate? I'm thinking, how much do I like my sister? (laughs) (laughs) The countdown timer, I've often thought the countdown timer one was a little bit strange. Um, read a variant on the countdown timer thing where based upon the choices you made in life um, the timer would change. So That's when you fascinating. Of, so when you went left instead of right, your your timer might go, uh, you know, three years higher. Not a little bit higher, but your choice in which direction you went one day could have resulted in that timer jumping forward years. That's ugly. It was really interesting. But the thing is, you could almost, you people could really learn to game that, right? It's like, okay, you're standing somewhere, um, you turn left, you go get in your car, you're, you're at home, your, your timer ticks up, you go back in the house, it comes down. Um, you know, and so you can kind of, you pro- people probably get pretty used to playing games with their timer. Um, and like, if you wanted to avoid your soulmate, you could just be like, make the most disastrous decision and be like, I just got 10 more years. I can see Tony Stark doing that repeatedly yeah. over and over and over again, and then feeling like a real asshole when they finally get Steve out of the ice, and he realized all those turns he was making was keeping Steve on ice. Oh, ouch. Ouch. I'm just saying. You just broke my heart. You just broke my heart. <laughs> I'm not sorry. You know, do, you, do, you want me, do you want me to pretend? No. What I think is actually worse than just um, a name is just a first name. Can you imagine John and Rodney if all they had was the first name? 
No. Can you imagine well, Rodney going through life I with just, John written on his wrist? I, by the time he I actually know. met the right John, he'd probably punch him in the face. Well, I I did write the first name only in um, a soulmate, a, a John Rodney soulmate story. I did write first name only, and Rodney didn't had wanted nothing to do with soulmates as a result because his parents, in, a, in an effort to try to get control over him, had kept bringing Johns in that were supposedly his soulmate until I think he, I think I had him sue for emancipation or something because his parents were like abusing him over the soulmate thing. And um, so he kept his mark covered, and he would never admit what the name of his soulmate was. Um, and, now I'm um, mad. I've read that, I'm sure. I'm sure I've read that. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure that... you did. I, it was a short story. It was on like 10K. Um, I think it, actually, I think it literally probably was like barely over 10K because the minimum for that, that, Reverse thing was ten thousand yes. words, and I yes. and I came in under it, and I had to add a blowjob to get me up to the minimum. But yeah, so John, of course, had Meredith, and yeah, um, and John. And if he was already like care. super gay, he'd be like, "What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> this can't be right." Well, and he was pretty gay, so he thought it was pretty strange, but. Um, this is the the idea. The thing was is the idea that that um, the um, the ancients, the the, the Atlanteans, had, they hadn't wanted to. They wanted to focus on ascension, not the nonsense of soulmates. So through their gene, the ATA gene, they had blocked their soul marks. So when they started doing the ATA gene, John had never had. John initially had never had a soul mark in that. Um, he never had one, and he always felt kind of out of step because he and various people never had soul marks and um, Carson was one to discover that everybody who didn't have soul marks were the natural gene carriers and when they um, started delivering the ATA therapy people's soul marks started disappearing which is when they figured this whole thing out well they figured out how to reverse that block in the gene and um, Rodney was like they were John and Rodney were already involved and Rodney said I don't want don't go do this don't go get that don't go get your gene fixed because it's just going to ruin us. You know, we're happy. We're in love kind of thing. Don't fuck us up. And John did it anyway. Um, Cause he was convinced that it was Rodney and it was, but of course that's not what pops up on his wrist. So. <laughs> I do remember that. I remember that. I do. But can you imagine the first word, the first word thing is there's an interesting thing that would happen is if first words were um, the, the, the indication of a soul mark, there'd be cultural taboos around saying certain things, right? Like you would never greet somebody by saying hi. Because, or hello. Hello, hi. Those, you, you would not have those kind of greetings because everybody would be, have some sort of unique phrase to them that everybody would, you know, you'd use or something, some kooky off the wall thing. Otherwise, you'd be checking for your soulmate, like, constantly on the first word thing. And the thousands of people you'd be introduced to in your life. So this is a hobbit. <laughs> so this is a hobbit, yeah. Which is unusual. It's nice to meet you. But also what it says to Bilbo from the very moment is that he's meeting, that his, that his soulmate is not a hobbit. 
Because a, a, one hobbit wouldn't say that to another hobbit. No, because a hobbit would know what a hobbit is. <laughs> exactly. So this is a hobbit. <laughs> and if you were born with that mark, it means that his parents would have known his whole life that his soulmate was not a hobbit, which means they probably would have raised him differently. If they'd known he was probably destined to leave the Shire at some point, assuming they valued soul bonds, right? Which I would think that they would. That's the way I would write it, but, you know. Because that is an option in a soulmate-type thing, as long as you don't have life force tied together, is you could have a culture that dismisses soul bonds as soulmates as being, eh, we don't need none of that. Not very interesting. Soulmates make you late for dinner. <laughs> There's a hobbit fic where hobbits ignore it because it's too much. It's it's too big. It's it makes you late for dinner, and so they then so they just outright ignore it. And Bilbo's prepared to do it too until he meets his. And he's like, I, I don't care if I'm late for dinner. I'm going to climb that like a tree. <laughs> Did you see this? <laughs> Did, Did you see what I got? <laughs> I'm not ignoring that. <laughs> Yovana made a plan for me. <laughs> I feel like I need to see this through. <laughs> Honor what your maker has given you. <laughs> <laughs> and look what I got. I actually have a Hobbit fic um, called The Bartered Bride where um, Bella is basically given away by the Shire to Thorin um, in a trade deal. And I went with that trope, and it makes me happy because Richard Armitage is so beautiful. Honestly, he's beautiful. It makes me really happy to write that trope where other <laughs> other dwarves don't find him all that attractive because he keeps his beard short, so they say he's ugly. <laughs> it really amuses me to turn that whole holy shit on its head because um, he is holy shit. Why'd they go make him hot? It'd be much easier for Thorin to die if he was a surly old ugly dwarf, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's not ugly. That's so terrible. I'm so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that if the Durans looked like trolls, it would have been a lot easier to watch them die in Battle of the Five Armies. <laughs> I just... That's why I had that line in Small Magic where Hermione calls Thorin the hot one. <laughs> <laughs> and Harry's all affronted and shit. You think that old dwarf is hot? <laughs> Everybody thinks that old dwarf is hot. It's <laughs> like burning. Whoa. But no, but seriously though, um, so Bella gets to the Blue Mountains and she's introduced to her husband and he... Um, and she expresses her surprise that um, he's not already married because um, she finds him very attractive. And he tells her that, you know, among his people, he's not really considered attractive because of this issue. And um, she's like, are you serious? Because <laughs> she thinks she's hit the mother load. <laughs> but she's super no excited. couple here, dude. <laughs> The, yes, the dude I picked to play Ragnarok in Small Magic is wow. I when I saw him, I was like, he, oh, okay, he, no. He's hot like 
he thought like burning. burning. Like, I mean, like yeah. Like I started, I started crushing on Ragnar like right then. I was like, oh dear. <laughs> you can't even deal with that. I'm not even sure if I can share it in the. I can't. I can't share it uh, over the uh, chat room. Shit. I close my chat room. Um, <clears throat> I haven't made a cast page because that's uh, a work in progress, and I don't really have a page on my website for it yet. But I read this. Um, there's another kind of like twist on the soulmate thing, where like there's there's all there's the the sort of sub because he kind of breaks the trope up into um, like subcategories. Like you have the, some sort of visual indicator of your soulmate, which would be like the name, the thread, um, the clock, the countdown timer, whatever. Um, and then there is um, sometimes it's a symbol, like this unique. Oh, a symbol could be difficult though because six billion or seven billion. Cut it in half, three and a half billion unique symbols. That's a lot of unique symbols. But um, there's also the version that something happens to you the first time you meet, touch, whatever. Like you see in color or you can smell or you get sense, whatever. Whatever it happens or, or your mark appears. But there's also kind of a more extreme version of the something happens when you um, – um, touch or meet the first time, which is, um, I was reading either your mark appears in some fashion, but it's in a like traumatic way. Um, like, um, like you get a burn, like a brand or something like their mark kind of is comes up. But I was reading this one story. I want to say it was a teen wolf story where, um, the size of the mark is not indicative of anything, but your mark could be anything from teeny tiny to enormous. And as I recall, and I could be wrong about this, um, um, Derek's mark was small, and it was kind of, it just, it was like on his arm or something, but Stiles' mark was huge. It like covered his whole back, and he almost bled to death, his soul mark appearing. And I was just like, I was reading the story, and I was kind of like, whoa, dude, (laughs) that was kind of unexpected is like Styles nearly dies from meeting his soulmate because he bleeds so much as this mark is coming up on his body. Um, and I was just like, wow, the like meet, meeting your soulmate is like really dread. And they didn't like each other at all, which was like add insult to injury quite in a very literal way. Yeah. That's just too hot for words. Look at Jesus. Uh, I got to save that. Hold on. <laughs> what? That is Ron Jack Foley, F-O-L-E-Y, Foley. He is Jesus. <laughs> and I'm an atheist, okay? Let's <laughs> just put that in perspective for you. Anyway, when I found him, what I had done was I had looked for um, a guy with a beard who was redheaded to play um, his son. How did I put that in my notes that I wanted to pronounce that? Razil? Razal? Razzle. 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 Either way, his son. Um, And um, then for some reason on my phone, Pinterest kept giving me um, pin boards full of men with beards. (laughs) I'm not mad. (laughs) And I got that picture of um, Ron 
Ron Jack Foley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, what? Damn. <laughs> so immediately he and became ragged started, off. It was she like, starts oh, throwing all this up in chat one day. I was just like, I don't even like beards. And I, I'm i having, my, my, like you said, my ovaries are exploding. Like, stop, stop. I can't deal. Yeah, Pinboard keeps sending me beard porn. I'm... I'm not mad uh, <laughs> at all. I'm not mad at all. I found my Gimli that way, too. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so, yeah. I don't know how we got on that topic. It was your fault. I don't remember either. Oh, we were talking about how pretty Richard Armitage was. and um, Oh, the, yes. The, and Hermione, so, Hermione um, said that the pretty dwarf and, I'd have been like the hot one. a pretty dwarf. Well, he's not there. <laughs> but not yeah, she does point, call Thor no. the hot one in um um in small magic and, and Harry is just flabbergasted by that. He's like, What? <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Hobbit um, soulmate AU is a little bit different. It was like, because your soulmate, um, when Eru had created soulmates, um, those are not soulmates. Um, when Eru, when you create soulmates that initially hadn't accounted for that, you know, they could be of any um, race in Middle Earth, um, and that people it was causing a lot of heartbreak, and so they made an adjustment that. Um, some people's lives be that lucky of a, of a hobbit and an elf. I I don't advise it. The height difference would be murder. But um, that one that one's lifespan would be you know shortened, or and the other they kind of adjusted their lifespan to match um, in the event of a, a situation like that. So um, and I think the issue that came up because Bilbo started aging more slowly than his contemporaries because Thorin was his soulmate. So it was an indication that he um, had a soulmate outside of the outside of the Shire, and he wasn't the first because, as I recall, it, it happened periodically that a Hobbit had an, a soulmate that was not um, a, not not a Hobbit, and that they would age oddly and eventually pack up and leave the Shire in search of their soulmate. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was an interesting spin on the whole thing. It's kind of you know evening out the lifespan of soulmates so that you didn't have that issue of you know. Everybody's pretty much longer lived than um, humans or hobbits in Middle Earth. I always even out Bilbo or Bel- or Bella by um, giving them a dwarf ancestor or a fae ancestor or even an elf, so that they get a little extra time. Yeah. Because I don't write that kind of thing. I, I don't. I don't want to. Uh, uh, they live happily ever after forever. <laughs> Accept it, move on. <laughs> but um I you know, I think that that's uh actually what you would have to do with soulmates in a situation where um elves live forever. Mm-hmm. Unless they die in battle. And then sometimes they come back anyway. Um Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at you, Glorfindel. If that's yeah. how you say your name. 
That's how we're saying it on this podcast. <laughs> we why, don't know how they wanted it pronounced. <laughs> I was wanting to give us a pronunciation guide for all of these just bizarre names. Speaking Long of which, um, I have been saying um, the female elf's name wrong forever because I had never actually watched. Um, I only watched the first so, Hobbit movie because I couldn't. I said Terrell. Terrell. Oh. I've been saying Terrell the whole time. Well, I inadvertently stumbled across a, um, a video on YouTube um because I was looking at stu- I was looking at Gundabad, and I wanted to um, see what the movie visual was. And there was a scene with Legolas and how you say her name? Toriel. Because when I heard Orlando Bloom say it, it was almost like Tari with the L silent. Really? I didn't remember yeah. that. I, um, I was like, what, like really? That. So I, I listened to it several times. So I could not get, you know, the quality. Um, but anyway, I'm pretty sure I'm saying it wrong, but whatever. <laughs> uh, mm. Okay, Lady Holder. I'll She's sending to... us alien techni- technology medicine, messages now. What if you... What in the world is that? No telling what she was trying to tell us. Show us. I think she, I think she was trying to send us some energy <laughs> oh, some kind. Oh. We have to ignore it now. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, Blockhouse being a real asshole tonight, Rogue. Okay. Uh, I, you know. I saw a really interesting string one in the MCU where Tony saw the red strings. He saw everybody's strings. He saw them all? He saw everybody's strings, I think, but his own. Was it just him, or everybody could see everybody's but their own? So Evangeline Lily pronounced it Toriel in a video. I just needed to quickly and listen to her say it. So, <laughs> well, either way, I've been saying it wrong. I saw now, a preview is... for the Han Solo movie. I wasn't. I wasn't impressed. No, me neither. I was disappointed. I was like, "What is that? What we're getting?" Oh. Cast, <laughs> Come casting, on now! It's the casting. The casting is so off. The casting is just. Oh, I, just this can't. Is, I mean, this the is, only one I can actually like... agree with is Lando. Lando looks good. I mean, it's the issue was. Um, it's the same issue they have with um, Hayden Christensen in um, the prequels. It's like. Not not a good choice for Anakin Skywalker. Um, just flat. And these characters, you know, just need to have like a little more charisma than that. So especially Han Solo. Um, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> but when I think I think one of the things you have to consider with you know 
what is like we have this kind of idea there's this kind of notion of like when you talk about a soulmate trope that it is um if you're going to kind of like you know put the turn the trope on its head is what does soulmate trope mean um and the idea i think people come to mind is like that you have one person in all the world who is meant for you you know that 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 but what if soulmate meant that it was the person that you were soul bonded to you know so you create a soul bond with somebody like you mate right and so your soulmate then the bond precedes the soulmate bit so like um so you've got um so soulmate doesn't necessarily mean the one person in all the world it means the person in which you were mated to because you formed a soul bond and maybe there's you know limited criteria under which you know maybe there's some sort of selection type thing, like um, Jesus, you just plot bunnied me. I'm, I'm kind of plot bunnying myself. Do you know how rare like, that is? Say, Do you know how rare that is for me to actually get bunnied like an like from a fucking sentence? <laughs> but like, what if you got um, what if you're born with a mark of some kind, and like maybe some marks have two points and some marks have three points and some marks have four points or five points or whatever. And the number of points on your mark is just determined. You need to be with somebody who has marks of the similar um, number of points. And so you're not looking for an exact match. You're just looking for somebody who um, you're, you're capable of creating a bond. So it's kind of like narrowing your dating pool. Um, but in that case, I mean, you, if people are going to pursue that, there'd have to be some, like then you'd want to build in a, a benefit to creating a soul bond. Um, like that could also create know. a class situation. Could, but you'd have to. I think you'd have to. Um, if you, if like you had like certain kinds of marks ran in families, that might come out that way. But it would all depend on how you did the world building. If it was just a completely random thing, you could actually defy class systems and you kind of prevent them from ever forming because. You know, let's say you can only create a soul bond with somebody who's got a three-point mark on their body, and they could be in any class, social economic status, that it's not just, like, nobility that have three-point marks or whatever. Um, Okay, so what if it was in the Harry Potter world, and the person you soul bonded with, you share their magic? You share and pool magic. So obviously people who are very powerful would be coveted. So you might even be taught as a small child to hide your power. Mm-hmm. Except the muggle-born wouldn't be. Yeah, they wouldn't be. And soul marks, people could get really intrusive about wanting to know what your soul mark was. I have an idea percolating in my brain. It, <clears throat> I like doing the marks um, with your heart on your sleeve. Um, I thought it was really interesting to think of the different marks for different people. Um, like, for instance, um, Colson has the state flower of Virginia on his wrist because Pepper Potts is his soulmate. Um, but... Uh, Okay, it's it's it, it's in my brain, but 
the thing about marks that I find um, concerning is um, the lack of privacy. And the because you know if you have a mark you have to cover it up. Therefore, everybody assumes you have a mark, whether you cover it up. You know, if you if, if you're covering up your mark wherever it may be on your wrist or wherever um, on your neck, um, and, and and you're covering up a traditional spot, then they assume you've got a mark. You know, and <clears throat> I don't know. Well, they could be um, if you have them. You could have them be somewhere intimate. Um, or they could be completely random. So, um, yes, yeah, somebody's could be on their back. Um, somebody else could be on the bottom of their foot. <laughs> it would be. It could be. It I me. Mean, it could be. Um, maybe you can control where your soul mark is. Maybe like in Harry Potter AU, one of the things you learn um, is how to control your soul mark's visibility. <clears throat> but it's a manifestation of magic. In a soul, in a soulmate-rich environment, um, I think that people like Grindelwald or um, Voldemort would have a very hard time. Um, gaining a foot in anything remotely looking like a a blood superiority because if this has been happening for many, 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 many generations, um, a muggle-born coming into magical society is another chance at finding your soulmate. You don't want some asshole dark wizard running around trying to kill your soulmate potential. <laughs> yeah, it would make things very different if it was um, well integrated into their society and desirable. Now, that's where you could do something like if you want like canon to happen, like not all of canon, but you know the setup to the Harry Potter stuff. Um, you could do something like that, you know, the sole object, whether it's a stone, an orb, a book, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, a potion, blood, whatever the thing is a device, but that um, some dark wizard could get around that issue many, many generations ago, hid whatever the thing was. I have that in a, in a Harry Potter plot document, actually, that um, one of Slytherin's descendants got sick and tired of some shit that somebody had pulled um, and said fuck you to the wizarding world and basically stuck the device by which soulmates are revealed into a vault at, at, at Green Dots and shut the fucking thing and then died. <laughs> wow. There. Super asshole. Right. So he did pulled a big dick move and denied wizarding world soulmates and nobody ever knew what had happened to it. Um, and um the person, you know, one of the people's, one of their tasks, and the thing is, somebody's, the one thing they're supposed to do is bring soulmate magic back to the world because that's part of the reason why magic is all fucked up is because people have been running around killing their soulmates, which apparently could be like corrupts their souls or something. It's kind of how I think I had written it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of their big big thing to do is get this, this soul object out of um, this vault and bring it back out in the open and get people recognizing who their soulmates are. 
But like you introduced in um, Heart on Your Sleeve, that can create, like, big problems. Because what if you're married to someone who isn't your soulmate? You know, well, what then? And how does the world deal with that? And um, Well, Tasha and um, Clint are dealing with that. It, it, it hasn't come up in what's been published. Um, but Clint didn't leave his wife. She doesn't have a soulmate, Mark. Um, as yet. He didn't leave her. He's sharing her with Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> this is our wife. <laughs> because I was thinking about that scene. I was thinking about that scene in um, which movie it is where we meet Clint's wife. That's um, Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron. And when 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 she comes in and like she's kind of mad because the baby isn't a girl. It I was like that's a little more intimate than I think it should. I'm going to make them a threesome. <laughs> I I erased that all those shenanigans with with Clint and his family just totally from my head canon because I just went it doesn't make any sense it didn't happen. Doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Nope. 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 I made them a threesome just, just like I did Darcy so, and Jane and Thor because it amused me and also because I had been told repeatedly over the months when I was plotting that that I shouldn't write fem slash I'm like bitch I'm going to write all the gay lesbian sex I can <laughs> just put it everywhere someone told you not to write fem slash what is wrong with people yeah, yeah. I had um, gotten a new reader and they had read um, Ties That Bind and if you've read Ties That Bind you know I have a um, lesbian couple in it and they are also in um, um, Sentinels of Atlantis because frankly if I have a an OTP for OCs, it, there are two, um, as Declan and Sean, and Anne, well, see, Anne and um, Allison aren't OCs. They are characters that are in the um, canon. They're just barely used. But I treat them like they're most. I, I, I gave them a whole background, <laughs> gave them everything, and lines. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I gave them dialogue and shit. But mostly I gave them backgrounds and parents and um, a big lesbian relationship that I am super proud of. And so they had read um, Ties That Bond and they saw that I had um, paired them in Sentinels of Atlantis. And she wrote me a snotty note and asking me if she was going to put up with lesbian sex in Sentinels of Atlantis too. Ugh. And I said, not in season one, but it's going to feature prominently in season two. <laughs> of that, you can be certain. Just for you, Snowflake. Just for you. In fact, that flashback in the search where Anne and and Allison come together fully as a couple, as a as a pair. Um, I inserted that after the fact. After I, I, I put that in my plot document after I'd already finished my plot document because of that person who had met, um, emailed me. And if it hadn't been written during Rough Trade, there would have been an explicit lesbian sex scene right there. But I was, so I think I skipped all the sex and then never put any real sex in there. 
which was disappointing. <laughs> but, you know, you'd be surprised at how many women in fandom have a real problem with Femslash and Het. Because they are so much more interesting, in, I'm interested in um, treating gay men like fetish objects. It's really off-putting. But my my plot idea is like, you said something about, um, you know, being able to choose your soulmate um, and creating this bond. And I was thinking, like a post-war fic, what if um, what if Draco was a spy for Harry the whole time and they were going to put Draco in prison and Harry bonded to him <laughs> to prevent it. <laughs> to I'm say sorry, basically if you can't put heaven. one of us in prison, you're gonna put both of us in prison. <laughs> you're not this one's you're mine. Not going to my bonded to dementors, thank you very much. <laughs> but it would be more interesting, I think, um, to to um to choose to create a bond that's that's immense um in i have i have one soulmate a u in Harry Potter where soulmate bonds are not rare, but faded ones are people who are reincarnated who were soulmates in a previous life who bonded together um who married and gradually formed their, you know, they, um, their souls mated during their last incarnation. And then when they're reborn, they're fated to be soulmates because they already are soulmates from a previous life. That's really interesting. I like that idea. I like the idea of it, your past actions. And conceivably lots of people meet their soulmate and achieve a soul bond. So, if you're reincarnated, it must be because you have some sort of purpose as a couple. Harry and Hermione are reincarnated in Harry and Potter and the Soulmate Bond, and she is near the end of season one starting to get flashbacks of their lives together. Because at dinner, she talks about, in one of the episodes, she talks about how she was a phoenix once, and she tried to take a killing curse and didn't survive it. Um, and that he's pretty much always a dragon. but she's starting to remember their previous lives. <clears throat> of course, the main thrust of season two, um, I'm going to move them out of Hogwarts. I'm going to advance it a year. Um, and um, I'm I'm thinking that I kind of want them to go on an adventure and, and find Avalon. Oh. I know. <laughs> I think it'd be a lot of fun. I like the idea of marks that fill in. I've read that in a couple of things, kind of like different contexts. It's like that as you move through, like um, like your mark is an outline, and like as you move through the, 
like the stages, like you meet, it kind of like gets a little darker, it starts to fill in and, or whatever, as you touch, when you touch, I mean, it's sort of like there's like progressions through things and the mark adjusts as you proceed through them. And then like it becomes like fully filled in or colored or something like that um, when you fully achieve a full soul bond. Um, and that maybe that's a difficult thing to do, that it's not just a matter of, um, because I mean, actually that, that there's this, it's kind of an interesting question. There's a lot of times in soulmate stories, the how the soul bond is achieved is not really explicitly stated, um, unless except for the stories where the soul bond is there from the moment you are born. Um, um, there's a lot of times I think it just sort of somehow magically happens when they have sex. Um, I'm, I tend to like things a little bit more explicit than that. You know, like it's not can't be accidental. Like you couldn't accidentally be fucking your soulmate and go, oh. Well, look at that. <laughs> well, wow. Holy shit. You, you weren't that good, Alay. I really didn't want to put up with you for the next 40 years. One of the things I kind of regretted um, do, doing, but I'm going to stick with it, in um, um, with, with your heart on your sleeve, is that um, the connection begins at the first touch. Because it created, in my mind, a, a very invasive society. Which was, and yeah. Tony responded to it by wearing long sleeves and gloves for a year. Yeah, some people, some people, everybody would want to be their soulmate. So, you know, it's like if you're famous, you're wealthy, you're just the, you know, the prettiest girl in school, that all the boys run around and touch you. You know, that's, you know, ugh. Yeah. You get a fist in the fucking face. There I am earning my, um, yep. I ended that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I don't know. Because I wrote that and I wrote, even wrote Tony's response to it. Um, and I was like, ugly. It has such deep, ugly ramifications. And it would almost um, make touching other people taboo. Without permission. Except, except how do you ever find your soulmate? Well, you would need permission to touch. Yeah. I think that that would evolve as a taboo, that, you know, you have to invite the touch. It would become a big, you know, you know, body autonomy thing. And you can't just run around, you know, because you just people did it to me. like trying to, I mean, you, can you imagine how creepy that could be is, they would get to wear that quickly because the first time someone was like a prince in some wealthy kingdom way back when, and a bunch of people run around touching the baby, that'd become taboo really quick. Really quick. But now I just fucking bunny my myself. Baby. I just got bunny. You bunny yourself again? Yes, because what if that's why Vulcans don't like to touch people? Oh, I know, right? I agree. I, 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 I like the idea that there's some deliberation in, in getting a soul bond, that it's not just, you know, oh, we met, we touched, we fucked. Um, not that there's wrong with that, because I've read some really enjoyable stories that we met, we touched, we fucked. Um, but there's just something really appealing about the idea of, of it takes something very deliberate. It takes work to achieve that. But you like the idea that that's why Vulcans don't touch is because they do they not want soulmates? 
I think that um, in a society, um, especially a, a telepathic society um, done largely through touch, because Vulcans aren't entirely just touch telepaths. You, you see repeatedly in canon e- events, telepathic events, where Spock proves more than one time that he is not just a touch telepath, but a sub point. Um, that touching itself is, is an intimacy. Um, reserved for close friends and family. Um, and if you added soulmate energy slash magic on top of that, uh, I think that a logical species would take the introduction of a stranger very carefully. Because if you are um, connecting yourself to this person the moment you meet them, if you touch them, you don't even know who they are. Be somebody horrible. Also true. You, I mean, it, for, for especially for Vulcans who are who are very private um, species, it would be um, a very intimate act. And definitely not something you'd want to ta- have happen in public. It does give an interesting spin on their culture. And, you know, in, a, in the culturally, I think on planet there would be like probably um, compatibility tests and um, uh, negotiations before meetings, and then like, okay, we're going to let our kids meet, see how they look at each other, see what they think of each other, but there's to be no touching, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, and gradually, because, you know, Vulcans make, um, betrothed their children, betrothed, betrothed, um, betrothed, their children, um, very young for obvious reasons, for telepathic reasons, for stability, uh, but I think that process would be very, very strict, than it is in canon already. Because there's the issues of Ponfar. If so much of magical, why would a good person ever be mated to a terrible person? I didn't quite ask, I didn't quite get the question. So you think that if uh, that a good person wouldn't find their soulmate in a bad person? Well, soulmates are funny. I think that a lot of soulmate tropes that I've read have accounted for the fact that sometimes soulmate pairings don't work out because, you know, life happens. Some people are not good people, and you just aren't compatible with your soulmate. Um But it depends upon how far you take the whole notion of fate. You know, some people. um, And also, um, there's the assumption that 
a good person is 100% good and that a bad person is 100% bad. Um, a soulmate isn't a copy of you. It's a mirror of you. An imperfect mirror of you. Right. It's a half of you. I mean, mean, if your soul's been split, if you go with that theory that that you're sharing a soul, the fact of the matter is is that none of us are 100% good or 100% bad. But I think that if you encounter someone evil in a just circumstance, they wouldn't be capable of a soulmate bond. Well, but I think that, you know, in terms of the, I think it depends upon how much, in terms of your world, it all depends on your world building. Because if you are, you're ascribing a level of fate and predestination beyond just having a soulmate, um, which is sort of like you will be um, made into a person who your soulmate will be somebody who is not only um, a mirror of your soul, but that is predetermined to have led a life that is compatible with yours. So some people do go down that path, that there is that level of predetermination, that it is that level of destiny. But other people have it be more, it's just a biological quirk of your your souls having a strong connection. And some people don't turn out that great and you're not actually compatible as people. So it all depends upon how you, how you do your world building. Um, I don't know that I would – the level of predetermination, I think as a writer, that level of predetermination doesn't appeal to me that your soul – In some cases, be it someone, becomes an issue of consent. Yeah, because I, I, like, I like more choice involved, that you have control over your own destiny, that you have control over your own actions, that you're with someone who's a good person because they've chosen to be a good person, not because fate has decreed that they're a good person. It kind of gives rise to the idea that people are born bad, um, which is a fine concept to play with. It's just not an appealing concept for me as a writer. I I wouldn't choose to play with soulmates in that way uh, because I like that, you know, I, I like, that it's, it's it's a matter of choice and a matter of something you're going to work for and that's something you want or don't. Um, it's one, that's one of the reasons why I, I would probably never do a, a life bond unless they had already completed the bonding process and chose to bind their lives together because I, I don't like that um, element of should randomly drop dead over somebody you've never met before. <laughs> but it all depends upon what you want to do. At birth... That has ugly, actually, that has terrible consequences if you think about it. Because in a, in a world like that, then you, if you have a child who dies very, very young, you know, um, in the crib, um, you're left to wonder if it's because their soulmate died or because they had some kind of medical issue that you weren't aware of, or you know. Yeah, and if it was if it was a medical issue, you'd be going well. Their soulmate dropped dead with them, um, and it, you know, if something, what if you figured out who the soulmate was, and what if you then blamed each other? You know, this was your fault. You didn't take your kid to the doctor. No, you didn't take your kid to the doctor. I mean, it could get, yeah. So it's just it's there's there's ramifications, and you know, people like playing with different levels of angst. They like playing with different levels of destiny, and you know, you can. 
just because somebody has done the trope a certain way doesn't mean that anybody has to be married to it. You know, it's one of those things that you can reinterpret however you like. Uh, I think it's just important to consider the consequences of whichever way you go. In Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, I have, um, because they're faded and because um, they are deeply connected magically, I have um, kind of tied them together for good or bad. Um, and that was a plot choice that I really, uh, you know, wrangled with. But um, in the end, I kept it because when I first plotted it, I was very young, and I thought it was romantic. (laughs) (laughs) But I was very young when I plotted the first part of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. But I could see maybe, you know, I could see maybe the idea um, um, that if you had a pair, like that there'd be levels to creating a soul bond and maybe the last level you could do would be like tying your soul energy together where your life force was dependent. And I would think that that would be something that couples would have to be like in a world building where I'd be comfortable with it would have to be a very deliberate choice and they would have to have compatible lives. Like you couldn't, like you wouldn't want to have your soul energy tied to, you know, if you were a lawyer and your spouse, was the uh, um, you know a special? I mean, a special forces um, heavy combat asset. That might not be a comfortable decision for anybody who knows you, or for yourself to know that. And and I would think that if your soulmate was this heavy combat asset, that they wouldn't want to tie their life energy to somebody left at home that they love deeply. So. One thing um, I would say is that it would you said something that people who know you wouldn't be comfortable with it. Um I personally wouldn't be comfortable with anybody in my life up into and including my mother having an opinion about that. Yeah, but you're, you're, <laughs> but whether whether you'd be comfortable with it or not wouldn't change the fact that they would because if um Well if they knew, you know, how would you, they know unless you told them? Well, again, it depends upon your world building. I mean, it could be that it's like a big old ritual that has to happen for you to, you know, do that kind of, and that people, maybe people know, maybe they don't. But, um, you know, let's say your mother did find out, not you specifically, but the mother of the person yeah. who's at home. She's not going to be thrilled. Like, wait a minute, you, you know, your your spouse is going off to, to, to war, and you could drop dead in a minute. I mean, you if, if in that kind of situation, you got a situation of that person who's at home is not going to be able to legally drive because if their soul bonded person is in combat, they could drop dead at any time and kill a bunch of people. So, you know, you have, well, you have no, a lot of Well, if like, you take that argument that way, then nobody can have this bond, and if they do, nobody can drive. He couldn't go on combat missions either. Because what if she's in a true. car accident or gets hit by a car or she gets food poisoning and drops dead or has a heart attack? See, he wouldn't be able to be in a combat situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying but, is I mean, he wouldn't you... be able to do it. I agree. I agree. It, it would be there's some there's some cases, maybe maybe some jobs where they just go, no, you can't do this kind of work if you have um, a life bond with somebody. If, assuming you want to go, you have to consider the ramifications of that because 
it, it would be an issue. But what that, if everybody people had that would have to It just becomes another thing. Uh, I don't, yeah, it would just become another thing, yeah. But, like, I would never write that everybody has a life bond. So if I were to – I'd have to deal with the ramifications of some people, but not not even most, having life bonds, which is like if you've got a life bond, you've got to you, – you, you present a bigger hazard to people around you. Um, and In Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, is, they mostly believed that she would survive him by five minutes to five weeks. Um, but traditionally, um, soulmates can – live almost a year apart from yeah, death. Yeah, that'd be one way of addressing it, is that it wouldn't be fading. an instantaneous drop dead. You'd fade, or you'd maybe maybe you'd die very quickly. Um, or live long enough instant. to get epic revenge. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. On whoever murdered you. <laughs> I could get a lot of revenge in an hour and a half. But you do have to think carefully if you're going to put in a trope like instantly drops dead if their soulmate dies. Because I've read that in stories where like all of a sudden in the middle of a battle somebody just keels over. And it's because their soulmate died, you know, on the other side of the battle. And in some in some scenarios maybe that's not so bad. Like maybe in some fantasy I use you can make that work. But with some guy who's out driving a car or driving a school bus, it doesn't work so well. You know, society would have to consider the ramifications of those kinds of things. So um If society just, had any the, kind of choice over it. Uh, over what? Over the ability for people to do it. Well, I don't think they'd have an ability over people being able to do it, but they would have to go look. If you really could drop dead, and your 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 spouse is in you know a certain level of danger, you know occupation, you know we got to take you. We got to consider you know alternate arrangements for how to get you from point A to point B, because you can't get behind the wheel or whatever. I mean, it's it's just it'd just be too much risk. Um, I don't know that you could let somebody like you know man a rail gun on a on a helicopter in a combat zone if if they had a, a life bond to somebody. So it's just something you have to think about the ramifications of when you're making a choice like that, um, that it may work better in some settings than others. Like it may work better in a fantasy AU where people are fighting with swords as opposed to flying planes. Do you have the pilot of a, of a you know, um, jumbo jet? Who's got a life bond with somebody? Fly the jumbo jet? I mean, it's a question that's, you know... Yeah, because what if he drops dead of a heart attack and his spouse, who's on the ground, drops dead with him? Because, you know, you realize every time you fly, you're flying with a human being in the seat that could literally drop dead without a soul bond. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's always a risk. We just throw ourselves into the sky. It's always a risk. Life is risk. The lady in front of you could have a heart attack at the wheel or a stroke. Yeah, it, it does happen. But for some people, with someone with a life bomb, they've got double risk, right? So you would have, they'd carry their risk plus somebody else's. And I, I mean, you may decide that maybe it only matters in certain high critical positions, like if somebody's you know, the last line of defense on something that maybe it's only that level of critical. Um, but 
it's something to think about. Like, what are you, how are you going to piece together your soulmate, you know, AU, whatever? Because there's so many variables you could consider. There's so many things you could do. And when you're piecing together the world building, you just have to, you know, think of the ramifications of what those choices are in the setting, in the context of where you're putting it. When I was young, so like, yes. 10 or 11 years old it happened on another bus not not the bus i was driving um bus full of kids the driver had a stroke one of the older kids fifth fifth sixth it was like fifth or sixth grade this was not a teenage this was not a a kid who would have had a license um managed to get the driver out of the seat of the bus and stop the bus that's a level-headed kid (laughs) <laughs> that is, that's a kid that wanted to live. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> Let, let's get this shit stopped. <laughs> Where is the emergency brake? <laughs> but yeah. I, hope, I yeah. Hope, that, hope the mom and dad of that kid, wherever they are, is still proud of that kid. Even <laughs> if well. they completely fucked up their whole life since then. <laughs> right? He had that one moment. It was fucking awesome. But every time you get in a vehicle that somebody else is driving, or even that you're driving, you're, you're taking a risk, a big risk. Did they eat a cheeseburger for lunch? Is that the final straw? I hope not. <laughs> I, w- I, would want, I, I would want a cheeseburger to be my final straw. It needs to be like a whole cheesecake. Like all you be afraid to leave your house is... <laughs> But I, well, that's one of the things I think that's so appealing about soulmate. It's one of the interesting things about soulmate trope is that it has so many permutations that it's funny how you can love one story and hate the next. It's like, wow, for something that is in the same trope, you know, just by changing up the variables, it can go from, wow, that really works for me to, holy crap, what is that? Um and it all depends upon what your personal preferences are, what your squicks are. Like, I mean, I think when you start kind of removing some of the elements of choice kind of thing, um, the extreme level of pre- predetermination would start to bother me is where I start not liking it. Um, but also some tropes just seem to gel in my head better. And everybody kind of has things that click in their brain. Like I, the countdown timer never really clicked in my brain the way it did in some people's. Um, Except for that one time when I read it where it was, you know, um, actually I've read this in a couple, where the timer adjusted itself. I thought that was fascinating. Um, I, mean, I don't know that you really want to dick with the timer, but some people would. Some people would dick with that timer. They'd be like, oh, that made it go up, that made it go down. I mean, who knows what consequences. And what if you make, in your dicking around with the timer, all of a sudden it stops. It just stops. Maybe at some point you were supposed to intercede and meet your soulmate and you meeting would have saved their lives. And you've just dicked at the timer once many times and now they're dead. Or even better, you've been dicking with the timer for 10 years and you, and you've got like five years to you meet your soulmate. And then suddenly you turn a corner and you've got zero. Boom. Right. There's your soulmate. Because yeah, you've been dicking around with it so much, you don't know what your actual time really is. Because you've been fucking with fate. 
So she decides to give you one without a reach around. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's, you know, pretty much Boom. I love the trope. So pretty much something is tagged soulmate. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to try. I'm, if it's a pairing I like, I'm going to try it. Because I find the idea um, in general kind of fascinating. Uh but I mean, really, you know, you know, there's just so much. I, and one of the things I also like about it is there's so much potential to do things, you know, your own, get your own spin on it, or subvert the trope, you know, turn the trope on its head, or just write something really interesting using similar elements to what other people have written. Because it's just there's so many ways to slice and dice things and apply things differently. And the, you know, the red string thing works differently in the Hobbit. It's going to come out differently in the Hobbit than it's going to come out in, you know, um, a criminal mind story or something like that. What if Dwaro have red strings, but Hobbits have blue or green. Hobbits have green. Very earthy. And when Thorin and when Thorin gets his string, it's green, and he doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> like maybe they've seen a blue one, you know, here and there, and know that's an elf, and that's just some shit. And maybe they've seen a yellow one, and that's a human, and they're like, oh, okay, okay, it's a human. I I'm not on board with that. But then he gets he gets a green one, and he's like, what the hell is this? Has anybody ever seen a green one before? They're like, no, what's green? With his green string. They're like, really? (laughs) No one's seen a green one. (laughs) It's not an orc, right? (laughs) Oh, God, can you imagine? Like, nobody knows what green is, and you're left to think goblin or orc. Like, has anybody ever been a soulmate of a goblin or an orc? Can that be a thing? Do they have souls? Do we know? Could it be a great eagle instead? (laughs) (laughs) I'm willing to cross that boundary. I'm willing to go there over an orc. I'll build him a really nice nest. <laughs> we can have a very platonic relationship where we fly around. A very platonic relationship. Very platonic. What he can still eggs from other people. Trope. We actually, we'll have babies. We just, I, I, I don't know if we, we did we deliberately like by like some sort of mind meld, decide to skip the whole platonic soulmate trope because that is a, that, that I, is pretty big. I just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. I don't like it. I um I don't read them. Um, and if you, and if you wrote one, I'm not trying to offend you. It's just not my thing. Look, for me, the whole point of the soulmate trope is to give my character some epic, no-holds-bar love. Just all in. This is a person who's going to love the fuck out of you every minute that you live. That's what I like. That's what I want to read. And so I don't... I just don't... Unless it's an eagle, and then we're we're down with the platonic. Yeah, unless it's an eagle, and then obviously it would be platonic. Just please don't let it be the dragon. <laughs> oh, your soulmate smog, and that's why he's so grouchy. He's been waiting for so long. Um, so what a horrible yeah. crack bunny that is. That smog came to came to Erebor for his soulmate, and uh, 
decided to sit on all that gold because he was pouting because his soulmate took off and ran out of the mountain. He's like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Fine. I'm going to sit on, I'm gonna sit on all, all your gold. If you accepted me, I would turn into a human and be really hot. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, there you go. The frog prince sort the, of. The other kind of hot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, Sore and... Um, is like he comes here and she's like nobody loves gold as much as I do except for you. You must be meant for me. Where are you going, dude? Fine, I'm just gonna sit here <laughs> on your gold till you come back and apologize. Until <laughs> <laughs> you apologize. That's <laughs> <laughs> not are you here to apologize for your obnoxious grandfather? Because he really hurt my feelings. <laughs> I wanted all those All I wanted to be was my born. soulmate. I come to finally get kissed so I can get little, and he just runs off. I mean, I was crushed. I was crushed. You, like, owe me an epic apology, Line of Duran. You know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm not going to wait for my soulmate to be reborn again, and I'm not having it. No, I will. I will point out, Azure, that I did not write the crack. I just sort of plotted, plotted crack. It. <laughs> it was crack plotting. Oh, oh, but what if, what if his um, soulmate really is during the Deathless, and Thor was a re- um, was an incarnation of Durin, and so he has to wait till the next one's born. Like you ain't getting me out of this mountain. Some, you, you, you Durans better get on with having babies because I'm waiting. I've been patient. Oh, wait. There's an orc army. I'll go take care of them. Then I'll be back. And you guys can be planting the garden. And I don't know why you two aren't <laughs> married, but you need to get on it. You two, Dwalin. You count. You're a Duran. You count. Get married. You better get All your woman. Dwalin, Dwalin, Thorn. Go plant some babies. Because until, until that next Durin pops out, I am sitting in this mountain. I tell you, I'm not going anywhere. You can see him poking the garden. What do you mean they have to grow for a whole year? <laughs> <laughs> and they sit there looking at Are they warm enough? Durin. Is he warm enough? Durin? I'm, do you know? <laughs> I can get a warming. I can get some rocks and warm them up. <laughs> Are you sure they're not cold in there? Finally, come out of the ground. Why is it so small? <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I was expecting. And then all of a sudden, they got a dwabbit, and the baby used to be dragon. <laughs> <laughs> The Dwabit goes up and touches Smaug and they get a little teeny tiny dragon. (laughs) Oh, you guys know you love us. Immensely. Immensely. But I do like the idea of Thorin having a different color string and not understanding it. Like, what the fuck? And Gandalf being like, you know what? you should go on an adventure with me to the Shire. <laughs> I think I can solve this problem for you. Oh, and you 
know, and and uh, oh, what's his face? Um, Gandalf could know and not want to tell him. Is like, I think we're going to need a Hobbit burglar on this trip. Yeah, and that's <laughs> why he thinks that they need a Hobbit along. Yeah, I think a Hobbit's going to round us out nicely. Because Bilbo's the only Hobbit in the Shire who has a red string. Mm-hmm. And maybe even Gandalf was called in to consult. What? What? what look, <laughs> his what string is red. What? Did we make a mistake in the planting? Was the soil too dry? <laughs> we don't want it to happen again. You know, it kind of is my headcan that all hobbits pop out of the earth. All of them. <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. I have a hard time with that because in The Bartered Bride, um, I have Bella actually pregnant. Um, and I'm like, that's so weird. <laughs> you corrupted your headcanon? I know, oh. but it was important. It was a plot point. It was one of the reasons why they got rid of her. Is because her mother had a difficult time having children, and they thought that Bella would have the same problem, so she wasn't um, worth anything to them. They considered her barren. Because mm. they're superstitious little assholes. I do like the idea of a story where... Um, uh, Thorin starts talking about having children and and Bilbo or Bella or whatever agrees. Not yeah, sure. Okay, you're ready? We're ready for this now? All right, I'm going to need like, you know, 100 cubic feet of dirt. <laughs> and Thorin goes, what? what? He doesn't understand the planting side of it. Would we going to start with dirt? And he has them bring it to the bedroom. <laughs> Bilbo's like, what the fuck did you do to my bedroom? You said you needed a hundred cubic feet of dirt yeah. in the garden. On the terrace. Not in the bed. <laughs> We're planting babies, not us. <laughs> I read this awesome fic. Um, it's awesome crack fic where Bilbo goes home and he's been um after the Battle of the Five Armies, and Thorne survives, but he still goes home to the Shire, because um, they're, you know, being manly in their angst. And he plants the acorn. And one baby after another. Just kind of... <laughs> so by the time Thorin makes his way to the Shire, there are like five or six kids. <laughs> I have not read this. How did I miss the Cabbage Patch Baby story? And Bilbo is like, um, well, I guess we can move to the Erebor. And the damn tree gives him another acorn and dies. And so he takes the acorn to Erebor and plants it. <laughs> and there are like 20 more children <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's awesome. It's lovely. We'll find it after the podcast. We're, we're close. We're down to a minute and a 40. I don't think we actually did a, a, a full-blown trope drift. Um, do you want to try again tomorrow and actually drift a drift a story? We could try drifting a story tomorrow. Sure, we we we've got some okay. bunnies going on though. We'll do a plot drift tomorrow. Um, so we'll catch you later, and you guys stay in the chat room, and we'll try to find that link. And if you're on the podcast, I'll put the link in the description for the oak tree babies. <laughs> 
And <laughs> I am fucking burning up, so I'm actually going to end the podcast right now so I can turn my fan on. Say goodnight, Julie. <clears throat> Good night, everyone. Thank you.